You know, this amazing thing Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And isn't it amazing that when we lift our eyes above our circumstances, how amazing it is. And Jesus wants us to do that all, all the time. In, in, in John 15, he says that I am the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And if it stopped there, we'd be in a terrible place. But it's not. It's in him we can do all things. We can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. And, and I've just enjoyed um, the worship and the meeting and the prophetic words because, as Darren said, it's just so in line with what I feel God is saying to us as a church. We've been on a journey and looking at our, our vision, our mission, and our mandate. Uh, we do this normally every September, October, and uh, so the new people uh, can um, know what we're about and ones that have been here for a while can be reminded of that. And our mandate and our vision or our dream is simply this, to know Jesus and to make him know, known. But it's more than that in a sense because it's, the, it's to know Jesus intimately because it's the Jesus that we know that's the one that we can make him known. It's not a cerebral uh, teaching. It's a lifestyle. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants to um, use us uh, in, a, in a sense to be salt and light to those around us in this beautiful world. A church with a mandate to fulfill the great commission is laid out in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20. Jesus came to them and said, this is after the resurrection, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, and we could put in brackets, go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the fathers of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is the amazing thing. Not only do we teach him to obey everything that he has commanded us, we need to be walking in this before we can give it away. But this is the, uh, the promise of Jesus, that surely I am with you to the very end of the age. No matter where we are, no matter uh, what we go through, Jesus is with us. And that's come through a few times today already. You see, we want to be a church that th- frames its ministry in these two statements or words. And that is to gather. We gather together to be encouraged, equipped and trained and and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and to go. We gather to go into all the world. A church motivated by love and compassion prepared to leave the comfort of the so-called 99, the comfort of this place and go out and seek and find the ones that are missing, the lost sheep, the ones that may not even know who Jesus Christ is. This is a place where we gather to be encouraged to go. Gathering is only one part of the mandate that Jesus has given us. We want to be a church of impact and influence that understands the um, God-ordained purpose of both time and space. According to Acts 17, 26 to 27, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And here's the key. 
We may think we're here by accident, but this is what the word of God says, that he determined the time set for them. We are in the right time and space, church, and the exact places where we should live so that through us or through them out there, men would seek him through us, Christ in us, and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. We want to be a church empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness in accordance with Acts 1.8. That we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be a witness in our Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is Nanaimo. And going from here to the uttermost parts of the world. And church, we are a church framed by this word to a gathering, healing training sending church we want to gather in the saints the lost the hurting the healed we want to see them healed ourselves healed we want to be trained and equipped and sent and in a sense in the next few months we we do this pretty well the sending part uh, pretty well and we you will see this a quick nap, from a quick snapshot of the next few months we have a medical team going to Mexico. You saw that. We have Jimmy McMahon. Is Jimmy here? Is he already in the Congo? <laughs> Not yet. He's on his way to the Congo orphanage. We have an orphanage in the Congo in a place called Uvira. And he's going there for two months. He does that uh, on a regular basis. And uh, if we can pray for him, he's going to encourage uh, and uh, minister to the, the orphans there on our behalf. We have the medical team to Mexico. Um, in January, I'll be taking a team to Haiti and um, be doing some leadership training there. Last, this last January, I was there for a couple of weeks, and um, there were 20 churches represented there from Haiti and the Dominican Republic that are looking for help from us to to help them fulfill the call upon their lives and to spread the gospel in that amazing nation. And uh, we have the leader of the, those churches. There's about, he's oversees about 10 or 20 churches coming to visit us. We are physically paying for him to come from Haiti to Canada to meet you all and to share his testimony with us. So we want to be a people that not only are blessed, Canada is a blessed nation. No matter how hard it is, it's a blessed nation. Come with me to Haiti if you want. You're welcome to come there. And I tell you, when, we get, when I get off the plane, if I was able to at a Vancouver airport without getting put into jail, I would get off onto the tarmac, which you cannot do anymore, and kiss the ground. Just after a few weeks there, we are blessed And we mustn't be ashamed of our blessing, but God blesses us so that we will be a blessing. God blesses to be a blessing. And I'd love some of you to come with me on that trip. You see, there's a lot of good things happening in the church. And I feel truly like David in Psalm 16 when he says this. Our lines, our boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. And this is the key, and this is where I want to focus on for a while. 
And we, we're going to worship some more and pray for people at the end of this, uh, the service. You see, this inheritance that we have is an internal one, an eternal inheritance. But we have an enemy that likes to shrink and contain our inheritance and even destroy it. And he does this through a number of ways, and I'm just going to look three of them. We've heard about fixing our eyes on Jesus. We heard about speak, um, looking up to him. A lot of prophetic words in the prayer meeting. They had no idea of what I was preaching on. But these are the three primary things for me that he uses to shrink or destroy the inheritance, not only of us as individuals, but us as a church. And he uses fear, intimidation, and condemnation. He always has. And he doesn't need to change his plan because it seems to work very well. You see, it's a fear that shrinks God to the level of our circumstance. It contains our effectiveness, causing us to step back instead of stepping in and stepping up to all that God has for us. You ever noticed in your life that you determined to step out and do things for God? And everything seems to go wrong? Well, don't be surprised. He's the father of lies. He doesn't have any new tricks. And often I hear people say, well, since I've been coming to this church or since I've been stepping out, all hell's broken loose. Yes, it has. And he wants you to think that he's this powerful being, more co-equal to God. You know, in Star Wars, we see the story of the story of good and evil. And in there, it seems like, uh, and I have to say this, and I know this is going to put you right off. I haven't seen one Star Wars movie. I've only seen the trailers. Mark Manfredi just can't believe it. But in there, the whole theme, I believe, and you can correct me, is this epic battle between good and evil of equal strength. This is not, this is an epic battle between good and evil, but the enemy is a fallen angel, a created being. And when he tries to remind you of your past, you go and remind him of his future. You know, in Revelation, when he's thrown into the lake of fire, God and Jesus aren't in this big battle. He says he sends an angel. He says, his time's up. It's not this battle of equal strength. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to shrink God in our lives to the level of our circumstance. And he's very good at doing it. You see, fear, intimidation, and condemnation, I thought about it and I call it the what-if syndrome. What if I step out and fail? What if I give finances, love, whatever it is, and I don't get? What if I make a fool of myself? Well, if you hang around with me, you'll see that quite often. What if I find, they find out about my past? What if, what if? Those what ifs are the seeds of the enemy that go into our head and pierce our hearts and contain our effectiveness for the kingdom.
But how about this what if? A good what if. What if I truly believe what God says I should truly believe? That I'm an heir of Christ. I have incomparably great power within me as a believer. I'm seated in Christ in everything. Just what if? It's amazing how we focus on the enemy's what ifs because the enemy is like a trash talker on a basketball court or wherever. They go after the top people, they go after them, and they just, oh, you this, you this, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to do this, and so on. I think if they might, uh, in, uh, NHL or basketball players and so on, there would ha- have to be a lot of centering of what's said on the ice. It's a tactic. And if you're a young player and all of those in any sports, you can easily get intimidated and thrown off your game. And that's what the enemy is wanting to say. He, you see, the enemy is that trash talker and the Holy Spirit is like a dove. He doesn't have to do that. He's secure in who he is. He's the small whisper. And we need to quieten those things. And we need to have times with God. We need to get up. This is not a legal thing, but for me, if I don't get up early, and this is for me, it just works for me, and have my time with God, and sometimes I don't because I'm rushing, I tell you, if I don't just get that focus back on Him, things can go awry pretty quickly. They go awry anyway because you can walk out your door and He starts knocking you off, knocking you off, knocking you off track. But He's a defeated foe. And one of the things that we need to understand, I don't want to give him any glory or anything. We need to understand the devil's schemes. Ephesians says we don't, 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. We know that. And then he says, so that, and go and read it. I don't want to, uh, haven't got time for it. But he says, so that you can take your stand and not be unaware of the devil's schemes. It uses that word in the end. In, in he's a schemer. But he's a loser too, and he's lost the battle. Amen? But if we fight spiritual battles with physical weapons, our own strength, our own ability, he knows he's got us. But when we humble ourselves, and when we go into that secret place, when we come under the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91, no harm can come to us. You see, James says that shadow never, ever moves. It says James says he does not change like shifting shadows. He's not like the shadow here. Oh, he's the shadow there. Oh, no, it's there. I better go. Where's the shadow? The shadow is constant. It's always there, and we're to come under. And if the shadow is this boundary here, and I'm here, and when I step out of that shadow and things go wrong, all I need to do is step back. All I need to step back and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to allow the enemy to rob me of my inheritance. Amen? You see, if we truly believe that Jesus says, and his word is true, that there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because through 
The law of the Spirit who gives life, he has set me free from the Lord of sin and death. Romans 8.1. Do we believe that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind? That we are no longer a people of fear, but a people of faith. A faith not in ourselves or our ability or our strength or our finances or anything else. When our faith is in anything else outside than God, then it be, can just knock those foundations out just like this. Dink! Because we're building with wood, hay, and stubble. And he knows that. But when our faith is in him, and we stand at that shadow, and when we come back to him, he can do nothing. He is the defeated foe. Corinthians chapter 1, I think it is, yeah? 1 Corinthians says that if he had known what he was doing, he would not have crucified Jesus Christ. He thought when he crucified Jesus Christ, he's so dumb that it was finished. He thought they're going to put him in a box, put him in a cave, and cut, shut the door, and we'd be worshipping a bunch of relics and bones. But on the third day, he got the fright of his life. The stone was rolled away, and he saw the resurrected Christ, not as a man, not as the God-man, but as the resurrected Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords that defeated sin and death and made a public spectacle on him, on, of him. Amen. Now, if I was in Haiti, they would be doing this. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Come with me, you'll see. Just a sideway. Um, they have a prayer meeting on a Thursday night and they wanted me to share there for about an hour for, before the prayer meeting. So I said, that's great, seven to eight. He says, but the prayer meeting goes on till 11 o'clock, so don't worry, you've got time. I tell you, when you're in the presence of God like that, they are so desperate and so hungry, time stands still. It's quite amazing. I can't wait till the day when the presence of God comes in here that we just cannot leave. And I'll know when the presence of God is here because every time the Shekinah glory of God was released, people didn't fall on their backs. They fell on their faces before God. And I'm believing for that because that's in the Word of God. That we'll come so hungry and so expectant of God to move that he can do nothing but do that in our presence. He chose the foolish things to confound the wise. He chose us. He chose to use us. He could have worked this out without us. Jesus died uh, 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 on the cross after just three years of ministry. I can't imagine and understand why he didn't stay for 30, 40 years. But he wanted to do it through us, through the church. Through the church, through us, that the manifold wisdom of God would be revealed. You see, we are no longer people of fear, but a people of faith. Faith not in ourselves or our ability, our strength or our finances, but faith in God. A faith to believe that according to three 
Ephesians 3.20, that our God is more than able to immeasurably do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. Charles Spurgeon, speaking of faith, writes this. By faith all things become possible, yet the power is not in the faith but in God in whom our faith relies. When we wrestle with doubts, we should remind ourselves of this precious truth. The power of our salvation lies in the strength of our God and not in our faith. We must fix our eyes on Jesus and not on ourselves. His word doesn't instruct us to grow our faith by pulling us up by our bootstraps. Neither does he threaten to leave us if we can't conjure enough faith. J.B. Phillips, these are incredible theologians, writes this. We all tend to shrink our concept of Jesus, of who Jesus really is, and what he has promised to do in and through us to the size of our circumstance. And any God who fits into our context of me will never really transcend me and therefore never really be God. The question we should ask ourselves is not how big is our faith, but how big is our Jesus. Amen? In Colossians 1, and I'm nearly finished here because I want us to pray. I want you to please go through this. It will be online because it's transforming my life as I'm beginning once again to fix my eyes on Jesus and not allow myself to be, to be washed by every uh, fear or, or, or doctrine or anything that distracts me from Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful but hard journey. You see, in Colossians 1, verses 14 to 20, the possible tells us just how awesome this big Jesus is. These verses contain, for me, the most powerful description of the glory and supremacy of Christ in the New Testament. When the enemy tries to shrink my God through my circumstance, it's these passages that I look to and focus on. And Colossians 1, from verse 14, tells us, In Jesus, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. We cannot save ourselves, but in and through Jesus Christ, we can be saved. Verse 16, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Just this is Jesus. Verse 16, by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. And all things were created through him, and all things were created for him. This is our Jesus. This is not a fallen angel with singed feathers flying around the world trying to intimidate us with his mates. The devil is not omnipresent. God is. Verse 17. He is behold all all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from amongst the dead, so that in all things he might have supremacy. All things, every situation. Jesus is not on the throne biting his nails, wondering what's going to happen to this world. It's in a turmoil. 
It's in the book. Read the last book, that these things will happen. But in that last book, too, it also says it's going to be the greatest revival that is ever, the world has ever seen. Because as the shaking comes, people will do one or two things. They'll run away from God or they'll run to God. And many are going to run to God. And you know, that revival is not going to be through a few super guys uh, with uh, tents or crusades. And I honor them and I thank what they do. It's going to be through the mobilization of you and me and the billions of priesthoods of all believers who believe what they truly believe of who they are and the power, the incomparably great power in them. And the enemy is so afraid that we might get it in this room. Because if I get it and five people get it or you give it, get it and I don't and so on, he can take us out. But when we all get it, and we all go together as this mighty army that God is raising up. We will change the world. You know, there's over a billion Christians. Imagine if each one of them just reached out to one other person this year. The church would be two billion. God's not biting his nails. How's this all? He knows how it's going to. He's going to wrap it up and create a new heaven and a new earth. But he's raising up an army. He's raising up an army. He will say, no more, no more, no more. And can we be part of that, church? Can we be part of that? Amen. Amen. You see, in him, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And to Hebrews chapter 1. Says the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In the beginning, God said or spoke, and the universe was formed. Do you know who that is? John tells us that is Jesus Christ that spoke. Because in the, in the beginning, it says in in John was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, with all authority, all power, sustains all things by His Word. When He says it's time to wrap it up, it's going to be wrapped up. When, they, when God created the universe, was Jesus, the Word of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God working together and he simply said, let there be light. Boom. Now we can believe we started as an amoeba in a toxic soup. You have to have more faith than that. Than that we were created by Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The supreme ruler of the universe that lives in us. He lives in us, and we can box him in our frame, but he wants to get out. He wants other people to know who we are. So the question for me in finishing, nearly finishing, you know my finishes sometimes, but this will be a short one. The question for me is that one that J.B. Phillips put out there. The question is not how big is our faith, because my faith can be very small. 
depending on the circumstance. But how big is my Jesus? How big is Jesus to us? And so I'd like us to, for the worship team to come forward. And we're going to worship for a little while, this King of glory. I pray that we will fix our eyes on him, who the word of God says is not only the author of our faith, but the perfecter of our faith. I pray that we lift our eyes and see him in all his glory. I pray today that we will put these burdens on him. I pray today that those things that you're carrying, those rocks in your backpack, could it be condemnation, sin, could be all of those kind of things. It could be fear, could be anything. Jesus said, give those to me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I pray that this week as you say, Lord, I just want to know you. I want, to, I want a revelation of you and I want to spend time with you. And the best way for me to do that is like what we did earlier. Put on Christocentric worship. I go to Hillsongs, United, and I listen to some of the songs. I want to hear songs about Jesus. And when I'm down and I just put headphones on in my lounge in the morning and I just sit there, all of a sudden from looking at this, it's boom, like that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. I want us to cast our burdens on him and go from here with the heart to truly know Jesus. You see, many people and some of my mentors that have mentored me for over 30 years and some of them are pretty old now. Some of them have passed away. They were men that were in love and women that were in love with Jesus. But as much as I could spend time with them and hear about Jesus and their life, I cannot live on their revelation. I cannot live on a second-hand revelation because second-hand revelation has a lifespan as the first obstacle. And when that comes, it has to be my revelation. It has to be your revelation. And Jesus is standing at the door of our hearts knocking every day. Let me in, let me in. And sometimes I go, just so Jesus, I don't even know what to do. He says, that's okay, I do. Just spend time with me, just chillax. Was chilling and relaxing at the same time. Just chillax. Let it go. Focus on me. <laughs> you think I can't deal with this? Yes, but, but, no buts. You see, Jesus wants us to know him intimately. And it's the Jesus that we intimately know that others will get. We cannot give what we don't have. And this is a call to me to that focus. It's a call to repentance. A repentance is simply, the, for some reason, a few years ago, repentance uh, became such a dirty word. It's amazing how the enemy chooses key words and he twists them, sometimes through teachers. So it doesn't mean uh, we don't need to repent because we're forgiven and it's all over and done with. Yes, we are. 
But repentance isn't for God's sake. God doesn't have to repent, it's for ours. And the word is simply this metanoia, which is turn around. So I'm here, I'm walking with Jesus, the enemy knocks me off and I start walking like this. And he knocks me off. And before I know it, my walk is there and I'm here with fear, condemnation, guilt, all of that. And he says, repent and do the things at first. Well, what did I do when I first got saved? I was so happy, I gave it all to him. And he says, so all he's saying, listen, you're walking away from me. Just let it go. Repent. And we do that because you see, repentance cleanses us. The Word of God in Hebrews um, 11 says, it cleanses us from a guilty conscience. So God has forgiven me and I'm walking with this and then I'm trying to come back to Him and I can't because, oh God, I've done all of this stuff. But when I get my conscience cleaned and say, God, you've paid for this, it's way easier. And so all He wants us to do as a church and as a people, and starting with me, to repent and do the things we do at last. Last. At first, sorry. Sorry, let's focus. At first, thank you for that. That powerful church of Ephesus, One of the churches and the church to get the first letter was commended for their doctrine, was commended for persevering, was commended for so many things. But he says, just this one thing, that's all he said. I've only got one. Imagine being a church with only one thing wrong. Just this one thing. You have forsaken your first love. And I can do that. I can get knocked off. And he just says, you go in this way. All I want you to do is repent and turn around and come back to me. You see, when we are in love, we'll do anything. When we fall out of love, everything is a mission. Paul Paul had this word and it was such a confirmation he had no idea what we're preaching again and I'm just asking going to share this word he had for a moment just wondering can we stand I just um, just had this picture in the prayer meeting and I was reminded I, I went to a kids camp once and the kids decided to take whipping cream and smear it all over my windscreen, <laughs> all over my windshield, and I, I couldn't see through it very well. I just think of what we've been praying through from the start of the morning of this, I'm um, getting a, a revelation of Jesus and seeing him. And sometimes in life, the windscreen or the windshield of what we're seeing Jesus through is our circumstance. And we see Jesus, but maybe the picture's blurry or it's fuzzy. And we kind of have a, a picture, but we can't quite make it out. We know Jesus is there, but somehow we just don't quite see him. And, and that changes with what, often what's happening in our lives. And I just have such a sense that God wants to clean people's windscreens. He wants to clean their windshield because Jesus stands outside of our circumstance and he exists. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday and to, yesterday, tomorrow, today. And there's this thing for us of 
sometimes what's happening in our world, sometimes the lens of which we're looking through actually just needs to get cleaned. And the scripture references this thing of scales falling off of people's eyes so that they could see Jesus. And I have such a a reminder for us. I just feel like God is, even today, saying to some of us, your picture of me is still blurry. Your picture of me is still blurry. And there's a response to actually allowing the Holy Spirit to come and to clean our windows, (laughs) to clean our perspective, to give us a fresh eyes to see him, to see him for who he is. Because he sits outside of circumstance and he doesn't change. Thank you, church. Thank you. Just for a, a moment, if we can just stop everything what we're doing. If we can just focus on this. Focus on Jesus. If you could just close your eyes for a moment, wherever you are, in the back or the front. Just for a moment. And as we sing these songs, fix our eyes on Jesus. The only way we can run this race Hebrews tells us, and persevere and finish is with our eyes fixed on Jesus. There's no other way to do it, church. Because He is the author of our faith, but He also perfects our faith in us. And for this moment, if we could just take it, just still our hearts and minds. We're just going to sing a few songs and I pray, Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit's role, Jesus said, was to magnify and glorify Him in and through us. So, Holy Spirit, I pray for your anointing. I pray, Holy Spirit, you begin to rain down. I pray that hearts will be healed. I pray that condemnation and sin will be broken by the power of the Spirit, Lord. I pray the spirit of fear will be broken over our lives. For you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. Let's just worship, Lord, for a while. Just 